Oh man, did anybody else hear the water start? Wasn't that fun? I mean, I mentioned we're going to have a baptism, and somebody said, hey, you know, it's got to have some water, and uh, somebody forgot to put the water in. So if you want to be baptized today, we'll have water. It will be cold, um, but you would be welcome, okay? <laughs> so anyway, they've got it figured out how to make it quiet, and otherwise we thought we were here streamside. I took your picture, but if you want me to know your name, you need to take your own picture and send it to me with your name on it, okay? And uh, some of you haven't done that, but I would love to. And uh, get acquainted, and that's why also we're wearing name tags. So thank you for wearing those so we get connected with each other. Now, believe it or not, here we are right before Thanksgiving. Is that incredible or not? 2016 is, is heading toward a grand conclusion, and we're nearing the end also of our study of Paul's love letter in the book of Colossians. So turn to uh, the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in chapter 4. If, you, if you're whipping through, if you don't know, I don't remember what page it's on, but if you get to the books that start with T, you've gone a little too far. Uh, so go back uh, a little bit to the left. But um, Paul had this powerful experience of Jesus in his life that just one day completely changed the whole direction and focus of his life. I mean, he was transformed from being a genius who was climbing his professional ladder to being a genius who was an apostle and an uh, evangelist, passionately telling everybody who would listen all about Jesus and what Jesus had done. Even in this little letter to the Colossians, it's all about Jesus and who Jesus is. I mean, it's Jesus, the undiluted Jesus is really who Paul is talking about. And I wanted to look at some of the high points. So it's just kind of in review. Colossians chapter 1 Maybe we can read these responsively back and forth. But Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. A little later in chapter 1, is, starts verse 27. Pop it up there. Okay, read, read. It's your turn. Read out loud. Ready? Let's go. To them, God chose to make known how great to, among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. By the time he got to chapter 2, Paul said, to, um, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. Your turn. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he said, nailing it to the cross. It's my turn. <laughs> Chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your turn. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, song, singing psalms and spirit hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is Jesus that Paul is talking about. That's what God Jesus or God uh, Jesus came into Paul's life and in his heart. That's what got Paul so energized. It's what got him arrested. It's why he's writing this book from prison because he's in love with Jesus, who's pure and powerful and undiluted, and he wants everybody to know. So he's sitting in prison and he's waiting, waiting, waiting for an audience with Caesar, the most powerful person in the world. You know why? Because he wants to use the opportunity to tell Caesar about Jesus. Well, how do you stay energized in a compromised situation? How do you stay encouraged when things aren't going your way? How do you stay focused on what your life is really supposed to be all about? How did Paul do it? I think he gave us some clues to that in chapter 4, verse 2 where he said, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think Paul's giving us his own advice and his own practice. Pray, watch, give thanks. Pray, keep watching, keep practicing thankfulness. I mean, that's the big idea really from this passage is we pray to stay connected to God and to stay focused. We watch for doors of opportunity to open for us to share the good news of Jesus, and we walk forward in wisdom and we speak the truth with grace. So I guess it's my turn to read. So I'll read today's passage. It's, it's a Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And I invite you to turn there with me in your Bible. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We had a whole sermon on it, remember? That's the mystery of Christ, that he's alive in us when we invite him in. The, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. I think Paul has three points in this little paragraph. Number one, pray. Pray. Pray like mad. Pray a lot. Prayer is talking to God. It's making requests. I mean, we ask for help. We ask for stuff. We ask for healing. We ask for direction. We ask, we ask, we ask, we ask. And God loves it. He loves it. He, I mean, it's over and over in the Bible. Come to me and ask. I mean, think about it. If you have kids, do you want them to ignore you or do you want them to talk to you? If they're talking to you, if they're asking for something, is that okay? Even if it's impossible to give to them? Even if it's ridiculous? You know, at least they're talking with you, and you thank God for that. And of course you'd rather have them talking to you than ignoring you. So we're commanded to pray. Continually, continue steadfastly in prayer. In other words, pray a lot. Pray regularly. God loves us to talk to him and bring up whatever you want. And he loves to be invited into our lives. And of course God wants us to turn to him and to know him and to love him and to recognize we need him. We need his forgiveness. We need his salvation. We need him to cover our sin and our shortcomings. Basically when we pray, we're admitting we need help. And we're dependent on God more than we know. And God loves his children, and he loves to help them. All the way through the Bible, call on me, God says, and I will answer. And Because he, he loves us. In fact, the Bible says in John 3, 16, say it with me. It's not going to be on the screen, so this is the test. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, I think God's love language is gifts because he gives so many. People whose love language is gifts love to give gifts. He delights in his children when they come and ask, and he knows what they need, and he's not intimidated when we sound selfish, which is probably most of the time. And maybe at the end of our long Christmas list of what God can do for us, we come to realize God has everything under control. He's got everything in his hands, even us. I know that Paul did plenty of asking himself. And there were times that he asked and God told him no. In fact, he tells us about one of those in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I had a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is, but if you've ever uh, had a thorn uh, prick your finger or stepped on a nail, you know what Paul's talking about. And he said, I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul said, God, I asked God three times, please take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said every time, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, I'm not going to take the pain out of your life, but I've got the grace that you need, the strength that you need to get through the trouble that you've got. What was it for Paul? He didn't tell us. Was it blindness? That's my best guess. Was it discouragement? Was it doubt? Was it impure thoughts? Paul didn't want to tell us the nitty-gritty details. Those weren't important. He just wanted us to know, I asked God, and I asked, and I asked, and God said, no, just trust me. My grace is sufficient for you. What's the burden you're carrying? See, Paul now is sitting in prison, and he's got plenty of unknowns and lots of inconvenience and lots of waiting and Paul says to us, as he would say to himself, keep praying, stay vigilant, choose to be thankful. That's what I'm doing, he says. It's a great way to live. See, you can leave running the whole universe in God's hands. You can leave, in fact, running national politics. Leave it to God. Here's your job. Just choose the right frame of mind for today. Do what you can to live like a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because God loves it when we pray to him. And when we pray and God responds, then we receive the blessings and God receives the glory and everybody wins. And God loves that. So he's saying, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. This word steadfastly shows up in the Bible at least six times. Paul's saying, take prayer seriously. I mean, you know, and, and um, Pastor Dana explained this to me, and I love it. I get together every week with our young pastors who are helping carry some of the preaching load and, uh, between Dana and Derek and Micah. And Pastor Dana this week said, you know, if you don't have a plan to pray, you just never get around to it. If you don't have a plan somewhere in your week to pray, if you don't have a time, some time set aside during the day, we run out of time, we run out of energy, we get to the end of the day and we've never got around to it. We never take the time. So Paul is saying make prayer a priority just like you make eating every day a priority, just like you make sleeping every day a priority, make praying every day a priority. Now some of you, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands, but some of you might say, wow, it's been a while since I did that with prayer. Well, then here we are in the house of God among God's people. Let's just take a quiet moment to each just pray, to say, God, here's what's on my heart, and give it to Jesus. Let's practice what Paul told us to. Let's pray.
God, I thank you that you hear the prayers of your people and that you love us and you love hearing from us. And so we bring to you our concerns. We bring to you the impossible things in our lives. We thank you that you hear. We want to hear your voice. Speak to us, each one we pray. Amen. Paul says to be watchful. It's like a night guard on duty. He was awake when other people are sleeping. And he connected the word uh, watchful to the word thankfulness. Uh, I mean, I know some translations say be watchful and be thankful, but there's a connection between these two. The literal expression is being watchful in thankfulness. I think Paul is saying make thankfulness a priority. Watch your life that you're thankful, that you're saying thank yous. As you look back at the last 24 hours, did any thank yous escape? Did you let any out to get some oxygen? You know, did you express any to anybody? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we are on top of Thanksgiving. So, of course, it's kind of in style this week to say thank you. But why not practice it and, and to kind of look over who, who are you kind of behind that you need to give some thank yous to, maybe even to make some phone calls later today. You know, some of the prayers... We pray, need to be for ourselves. We need to choose thankfulness even when things are not going our way. And we need to, you know, even when we're waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen like, like Paul has been waiting. I mean, some things just seem to take too long. Some of you thought that about our church project. And I, there is good news coming. Uh, the reason you go, why have you wait, have to wait so long? The short answer is we've been saving money. The longer we've waited, the price has been coming down. It's moving the right direction. But uh, shortly after the first of the year, we should have some good news and uh, be moving, and then we'll be into a whole new chapter. And uh, so that'll take even some more prayers. But, you know, sometimes it's hard and you need prayers for yourself when you're going to be with family members who are hard to love. Anybody have somebody like that in their family they're going to see at Thanksgiving? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I know our family didn't all vote the same. And I know there'll be passion there. How to be ready to speak for Christ. Not like a, oh, what are we going to do? Not like a, ha-ha, we won. But a, how do you speak for Christ? It's worth praying about, isn't it, Christian? To be ready to represent Christ in that situation. And to be somebody who brings encouragement. Because we can leave the world and run in the world in his hands. Paul goes on to broaden his request of how we pray. Look at verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. Pray also for us. Not just for yourself. Pray also for us. His, Paul's eyes are on Jesus. He's focused his whole life to fulfill God's plan and to share the good news with the whole world. But don't you think Paul himself could use a little encouragement from time to time? Of course and so he's saying, pray for us. You know, there's certain things that you can pray for for yourself, or he's basically saying, pray for your, your, your spiritual leaders, for your pastors, the missionaries, your evangelists. Pray for us. Now, there's certain things that Paul has to do for himself spiritually, and I have to do as your pastor spiritually to keep um, my own spirit in the right place before the Lord and to help us stay strong as a church or we're compromised. And there's certain things you can't delegate. I can't say, hey, would you, you know, please practice integrity uh, for me? Or would you please do the praying for me? I have to do those things. Um, I have a, my, my personal walk with the Lord. I have to take care of those things myself. And yet you can pray that, that I will stay diligent on those things. Who was it who said, you know, integrity is the most important thing, and if you can fake that, you've got it made? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work like that with God because he knows Paul had to maintain his own purity in thought and in word, he had to keep his own thoughts focused. 
So I welcome your prayers as your pastor. I mean, many of you have told me, I'm praying for you every week. Thank you. Some of you have prayed, I tell me, I'm praying for you every day. And those I'm going, oh my goodness, what do they know? And, um, you know, thank you. Because leaders have to lead. And the old devil can get a sidetracked if the leader gets discouraged or distracted or too busy or doing the wrong things or into sin. And your prayers can protect me and our church at that point. Paul says, pray for us. So thank you for joining into that. Please put me on your prayer list and keep praying for us as a church. that We will have God's protection and his guidance and his blessing. Pray for your preacher to be clear and convincing and interesting and bold and without reproach. Pray that your leaders be visionary and stay patient. So there's plenty there to be praying for. But look what Paul says. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. I like this. Paul is living behind closed doors. He's living behind locked doors. He's in prison. And he says, pray that God will open a door for us for the word. He's stuck. He's probably thinking that he's sitting there in time. Daylight's burning and he's wasting his time sitting in prison. And all he can do is pray and write these little letters of encouragement to churches. And he has no idea that God's going to take those letters and they're inspired by God and they're going to become God's word. And 2,000 years later, people like us are going to be reading them and saying, God is speaking to me through this word. And God never came to Paul and said, hey, Paul, psst. Just stay patient. I'm going to have you in prison for a little while so you can write some letters because they're going to be saved for posterity and those will become God's word. Now just stay patient and do this job for me, okay? He never said that. The whole time Paul's thinking I should be preaching to crowds in the stadium and God has him sitting in prison behind locked doors and he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door of opportunity for people to hear the word. Paul is writing letters to this little church and, and he says this actually a lot. There's six times in the Bible he talks about an open door of opportunity. One time he says, and there, there's an open door, but there's a lot of adversaries as well. God opens doors in response to prayer. God opens doors in response to prayer. Christian, be praying. God opens doors in response to prayer. I was reading a sermon this week by Pastor John Piper, and he told a story of a minister in Scotland named Duncan Campbell. Now, this happened on the Monday after Easter in 1952, and Duncan Campbell uh, was the speaker at the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor, North Ireland. And he had just spoken to this large assembly of people when he heard God speak in his inner spirit say to him, Burn Array. Burn Array. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever heard of Burn Array? It's an island. Anybody know where it is? It's in the Hebrides, to give you a clue. Anybody know where those are? Okay, those are just west of Scotland. So there's this little island, Burneray. And he hears it, and then he hears it again, and he hears it again, Burneray. So he leans over to the host, the chairman who's sitting next to him, and says, excuse me. He says, brother, you're going to need to excuse me. I have just heard from the Holy Spirit, and I have to leave go catch a plane. I've got to go to Burneray. The guy says, but wait a minute, you're the speaker again tomorrow. He says, well, God will guide you. I've got to go. So he gets up. He goes to the hotel. He gets his two suitcases. He goes to the airport. He says, I want a, a flight to Burneray. Guess what they said? There's no airport in Burneray. You can't get there from here. He says, well, what's the closest? So they fly him to the next closest island. He gets to this island. He looks around. He says, how do I get to Burneray? They said, there's no public transportation. A fisherman says, I will take you there myself for such and such amount of money. 
It's just about all the money that Duncan Campbell had in his pocket. So he gives it to the guy. The guy takes him literally to the shore of the island. He gets out of his boat, and the fisherman sails away, and there's this hill. So he climbs to the top of the hill. He gets to the top of the hill, and there's a farmer plowing his field. And he says to the farmer, excuse me, could you please go tell the pastor of the local church that Duncan Campbell is here? The guy says, well, we don't have a pastor at our church. He resigned. He says, oh, well, then do you have any elders in your church? He says, yeah, we do. He says, would you please go tell the elders Duncan Campbell is here? So the farmer says, well, okay. So he leaves, and, and Duncan Campbell sits down on his suitcase to rest, going, God, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? And pretty soon the farmer comes back, and he says, well, I talked to the elder, and he said he's expecting you, and he's already told everybody to be at church tonight because you're going to speak. <laughs> now... What Duncan Campbell didn't know is that there was a farmer on Burneray that had gone in his barn the week before and prayed earnestly, God, there are so many people here on Burneray that need Jesus. Wouldn't you please send Duncan Campbell here to preach to us? Now, this is not without precedent. You can read this in the book of Acts. Philip is doing this huge evangelistic conference, and God comes to him and whispers and says, go down to the desert and stand there. He goes down and stands. Remember, remember? You know the story. He's standing on the road, and there's one guy going by on a chariot, and he happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah. He's an Ethiopian. He's going back to his country. He's already been to Jerusalem, but there's a hunger in his heart, and God has Philip leave this huge mass to go talk to this one person who happens to go to be the first one to take the gospel to all of Africa. God knows what he's doing, and this farmer has gone in his barn, and he's praying, God, send revival to our little island. And God gave him the promise from Hosea 14, 5, which says, I will be as the dew unto Israel. It's not a rain, but it's just enough to get you by. And this farmer claimed it in faith. So he knew in his heart that God was going to send Duncan Campbell, who had been used in a mighty way in other revivals in Scotland. And he knew he was coming to Burnaray, so he set up a service for three days from then. And he told everybody, be at church on this uh, particular time, and uh, we're going to get to hear from Duncan Campbell. Well, you can guess what happened. Duncan Campbell got there just in time, showed up, preached the gospel. Great revival came to the island of Burnaray. And a great door for the word was opened that nobody could shut because God hears prayers. And he opened the door. God loves to answer prayers. Little farmer on a remote island in his barn, praying in private, begging God, and God loves to answer those kind of prayers. So pray a lot of them. God opens doors in response to our prayers. You know, are you just praying for yourself? Those are great prayers. They're good starter prayers. Let's get past prayer kindergarten. Let's grow up and pray like Paul did. God loves to hear from you, but this is some guidance from Paul how to pray. Paul is not praying, God, get me out of jail. Get the Jews off my back. Get the Gentiles off my case. Let me find comfort and peace and rest and food and health and good friends and, and retirement. He's not praying about any of that. He's saying, God, open a door of opportunity for me to share the word. Open a door so I can tell people about the real treasure, Jesus. And help me when I get that moment to speak, to be clear and winsome and compelling. Help him, Jesus. And Paul said at the same time, pray for us that God may open a door for us, the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. Remember, what's the mystery of Christ? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said, on account of which I'm in prison. 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So I want us to take a moment to, for each of us to pray this, uh, not for ourselves, this prayer. This prayer time, I want us to pray for the people you're going to be with at Thanksgiving who you know need Jesus. And get your heart ready to share Jesus with them. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we all have them, the hard to love, the cantankerous, the irregular, the ones that, uh, that are going to be after us because they know we love Jesus. I pray that we will speak the words of Christ, that we will respond as Christ, that we will find an opportunity. Some of us, it's been decades since we were able to say a word for Christ to these particular people, but I pray we will come back with stories. If you can hear a farmer in a barn and burn a ray and do a miracle, then, I, then you can work in some of the hearts of the, and the hardness that we have found among people in our own families. And I pray that you will use us to touch them. Thank you. Amen. Let's look at one more encouragement that Paul gave these fellow followers of Jesus. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Now I'm running out of time, but I think seasoned with salt, you know, salt just makes food taste better. It also can preserve. So we're to speak in a way that tells the truth and make it fascinating, make it palatable. Make it understandable. We have the good news of Jesus to share. And the outsiders are those who do not know Jesus. And Paul says, make the best use of the time that you've got to share with them. Now, I've got to tell you, I could use your help on this today. Six years ago, a guy walked into our church and he said, a relative of mine has died and we live here in the area and could we have a memorial service at your church and would you help me with it? I said, well, sure. What's your faith background? He said, well, none really. He says, I'm from Iran. Well, that wasn't completely the truth. And um, so we did a gracious Christian funeral for about 200 people right here. And, and uh, most of them were from Iran. And um, uh, this week, I was, like I said, at the Air Force Academy, and a man came in the office, and he talked to my assistant, Sandra, and he said, um, six years ago, Pastor Ty did a funeral for our family, and my mother has died, and she needs to have a memorial service. Could we have a memorial service at South Shore's church? And uh, Sandra said, well, sure. Pastor Ty already did one. He could do another one for the same family. And so she got it all lined up and then uh, uh, called me and said, could you please call him for the particulars of the service? So I said, well, tell me about, when I got him on the phone, I said, tell me about your mom. And uh, so he's telling me how wonderful she is and, and um, how she cared for some, her family and her people. And I said, well, did she have any faith? He said, well, yeah, she's Muslim. Well, we're already scheduled for this service, you understand? I've never been the Christian pastor at a Muslim funeral before, uh, to my knowledge. So what do you do? I mean, what would you do? I had my phone a friend, um, Patrick Bailey, who's one of our missionaries. You know, we first uh, learned of them because they were in our church in San Juan and when we joined together three years ago. And then Patrick and Sherry Bailey have been serving in the Philippines and ministering with uh, Muslim people. In fact, they're here. Would you just stand up and let us recognize you because these guys are awesome. Um, and um, 
Also, about a year ago, Patrick led us in a series of how to talk to Muslims, how to reach a Muslim for Jesus Christ, and how to share the gospel in a way that is not unnecessarily offensive to a Muslim, and to tell them about Jesus. So I'm texting Patrick, I'm emailing Patrick, help, what am I going to do? And, and so he, he, he and I have been sharing back and forth, and it's been a huge blessing, and that service is at 2 o'clock today. Now, I, know, I don't know a whole lot, but I know this, that Muslim people who don't know Jesus need people like us just to be friends. And to be kind and to be gracious, for starters. And so I need you here, if you're willing, to, at 2 o'clock today just to come to a service. You say, but I don't know anybody. Guess what? I don't either. <laughs> and, and you could just be here and shake hands at the door and just be gracious host and hostess. Just kind of put yourself in charge of hospitality and, and, and just to shake hands. And, and I invited Patrick and Sherry. I said, why, why don't you be here kind of as our resident experts? So he's helped me with what I'll need to say so that, that we're able to, to share uh, Christ and, and the hope that we have in Jesus uh, in this situation. But I want you praying. And, and if you want to, I'd like you to be here because it's exactly what Paul is talking about. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the most of the time. May your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we can make it clear, so we know how to speak. See, that's the undiluted, pure Jesus, and he's powerful, and he's just what we need, and he's just what every person needs who doesn't know Jesus. So we're the fully devoted followers of Christ. And we, each week, we've tried to look to say, okay, how do we apply what God's saying in his word in our home and in our church and in our community? So in our home, certainly this week with Thanksgiving coming, I will be praying for you and you continue to pray and we have prayed. Here in our church, I've got something. Write this on your notes. This, I'm going to talk more about this, but this, uh, this has uh, become more and more compelling to me. We even had an expert come in from Fuller Seminary and talk about this. But I have begun to notice and to pray for and to uh, attempt to engage the people in our church who are 15 to 29 years old. Some of you might not even know one, but they're here. And the millennials are, if, if we're going to stay healthy as a church over the next decades until the Lord returns... Uh, whenever that is, we're going to need to engage people who are from the millennial generation. And if you don't know one, you can't possibly engage them. And so I want you to put there, engage 15 to 29-year-olds in the church to actually learn the name. I'm giving you an assignment to learn the name of somebody who's in that age bracket to pray for them, to get to have a, begin a friendship with them. They come and they greet at our doors. They're in them, among us in the service, but sometimes it's just like we're invisible. We're in our own little world with our own little friends and we never look past that. But here are people who have, are, have uh, struggles to walk with Jesus in a very complicated world that I think is a lot tougher than when you and I grew up. Would you agree? And for you to say, I'm going to intentionally reach out to try to make one friend in that age group that I can pray for, that I can encourage, that when, they're, they, when they list the people who made a big difference in my life, my name's on their list. That's, what I, that's the assignment I'm wanting to give you for our church. And then for our community, we're having this Love Your Neighbor Thanksgiving dinner down in San Juan. It's to reach the community and the military people. 
And so we've got all the food gathered, and then people are, I, I mean, I'm going to go and wash dishes. If you just want to watch a pastor wash dishes, I love washing dishes, so come, come watch. I'm on the five to eight shift, uh, you know, and uh, helping to serve, and you could be down there as well to come and eat and then to serve. In fact, we're moving in the 4.30 remix service down to San Juan because we're kind of getting used to going down there to visit. We're going to stay for a little while, and uh, you could just come and be part of that big party today to reach the neighbors with with the love of Christ through a thanksgiving meal. How do we be these kind of people who are continual, steadfastly in prayer, watchful with hearts of thanksgiving? Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, you are awesome. Thank you for your word. Thank you for working in Paul's life. Thank you for working in my heart. Thank you for working in our lives and in our church. Thank you for what we have, how we've seen you work and to be so faithful in the past and in the present and so we know you're already in our future preparing good works in advance for us to do. So we give you the challenges that we have of, of, of fear of talking to people about Jesus. We give you the challenges that we have of uh, hard to deal with people in our lives. We give you the financial challenges that we have as a church. We give you the, uh, the shortness of faith that we would have. And we say, Jesus, we need your help. Thank you that you are our Savior. Continue to lead us, and to the best of our ability, we will follow you each and every day because you are the pure, undiluted Jesus, and we are the fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen.